Thank you for joining us today on Healthcare Highwire. Today is the Director of Nursing Leadership Series, learning to be good communicators with strong clinical knowledge and leadership skills. Welcome everyone, and thanks for joining me today on the LCS Director of Nursing Leadership Series. I'm Sandy Toole, and today I'm joined by a few of my colleagues, and we're going to be discussing the frequently asked questions about the 2023-2024 vaccination season. So who is with me today? Natalie Moore, Senior MDS Specialist. Linda Elder, Clinical Specialist. And Kim Held, Senior Clinical Specialist. Well, thank you ladies for joining me today. But before we get down to the questions, let me just start out by saying there are three annual vaccines recommended for respiratory viruses that affect long-term and post-acute care residents and staff. That would be the influenza, the COVID-19, and the RSV vaccines. The newest vaccine was introduced in October of this year, and that is the vaccine for RSV. Well, some of you might be saying, what is RSV? Simply put, RSV is a respiratory virus that typically causes mild cold-like symptoms. Those symptoms usually include things like runny nose, decrease in appetite, coughing, sneezing, fever, and wheezing. And typically, most people can recover from that in a week or two. However, it can cause more serious health problems, especially in infants, young children, and older adults and can lead to pneumonia or bronchitis causing some really significant problems with breathing and sometimes even requiring hospitalization. So I think the development of the RSV vaccine is really good news, especially in our industry. Okay, let's get to it. Linda, the most frequently asked question is, can I co-administer the vaccines together at the same time? Yes, you actually can. It's permitted and maybe the best way to get compliance. Keep in mind, this may increase the risk of side effects, which are typically mild, like arm pain, swelling, headache, or fatigue. If you do co-administer, CDC does recommend administering at a different locations or at least one inch away from the other vaccine site. Linda, that's good to know. I think I would rather get it all done at once, no procrastination or finding time in a busy schedule. A question I have received is, when is the optimal time to administer the vaccines? Well, we all know it's a regulation in skilled nursing that the influenza vaccine is offered every year between October 1st and March 31st. The best time is before the winter respiratory virus season starts. Both influenza and COVID vaccines tend to wane after four to six months, so waiting until October is optimal. The RSV vaccine has a longer effect, so administering any time starting in September is good. Natalie, you were going to do some research into the science behind the vaccines and how long it takes for the vaccine to work. What did you find out? Well, I found out a couple of things. First, all vaccines take about 14 days to generate antibody levels if you've never been vaccinated or exposed to that virus previously. You do actually generate antibodies quicker if you've been vaccinated before. 
Those antibody levels remain elevated for four to six months and can remain effective longer unless the virus develops a new variant. Since all of these respiratory viruses continually develop those new variances, new vaccines are commonly required. So for example, the annual influenza vaccine. Because the flu and COVID-19 vaccine last four to six months, it is recommended that we receive those in October. And as you said, the RSV vaccine is recommended in September and that's because it lasts longer. My gosh, Natalie, that is a great explanation of the timing of the vaccines and really just why sometimes the vaccines don't work. That was really a great explanation. So those changing variants were really prevalent during the height of COVID-19. Are there any contraindications to receiving the vaccines? Yes. So allergies to any of the components of the vaccines are going to be obviously be contraindications. Just please be sure to check the package insert prior to administration. Also, if you have concerns about other potential risks, we do recommend that you check with your physician before receiving the vaccines. And then the residents attending physician will make the determination as to if the resident should receive any or all three of the vaccines. Well, are there any of the vaccines that are actually required for staff? I can take this one. There are no federal requirements that staff receive these vaccines. Some states may have regulations about healthcare workers receiving these vaccines. For example, some states require either the influenza vaccine or that the healthcare worker uses a source control mask when around patients during high activity of influenza in the community. You do need to check with your state health department about any state-specific requirements for vaccination. Oh, Linda, that's a very good point because some states do have their own requirements around vaccinations. Well, what about the residents? Are there any vaccines that are required for our residents? That's a great question. No, they're not required, but they are recommended for older adults, those with chronic conditions, and those who reside in congregate living situations, such as a nursing home or assisted living community, are at the highest risk of serious illness, hospitalization, or death from these viruses. You do want to keep in mind, we must have infection control practices in place that include offering the vaccines to our residents. Our requirements for influenza, COVID-19, and the pneumococcal vaccines include the screening and eligibility to receive the vaccines, documentation of the provision of education related to this vaccine, such as the benefits and the potential side effects, the administration of vaccines in accordance with national recommendations, which includes doses administered and allowing a resident or representative to accept or refuse the vaccines. If the vaccines are not provided, you must have documentation as to why they were not provided. I like that explanation, Linda, and we've seen a few deficiencies around this requirement. A question that comes up frequently is, if I got the vaccine in the past, do I have to get another one? The answer is yes. Since people's immunity will decline over time, the frequency of another vaccine varies. I always recommend using the CDC immunization schedule, which you can find on their website. The CDC website has a ton of information around the vaccines, including the vaccine information sheets that we use every year as our informed consent for the administration of vaccines. 
Kim, I'm really glad you mentioned those vaccine information sheets. We should let our listeners know that we have updated the DON resource folder on LCS Connect, and it now contains the newest 2023-2024 vaccine information sheets. Well, and speaking of updated, what is the newest definition of up-to-date? Well, up-to-date only pertains to COVID-19 vaccines. Everyone five years and older is up-to-date once they get one updated COVID-19 vaccine. Thank you for that, Kim. Okay, Natalie, we have heard something about this thing called the Bridge Program through CDC, which offers no-cost vaccines for uninsured or underinsured personnel. Now, I know you're not our billing expert, but you were going to investigate this. What did you find out about this program? Right, certainly not the billing expert, but I did learn that the CDC has, as you said, what's called a bridge access program. This is a private partnership aimed to help the public maintain access to no-cost COVID-19 vaccines. This program ensures that adults who are either uninsured or underinsured can continue to obtain their COVID vaccines for free at participating pharmacies, local health centers, and the existed public health infrastructure. Again, the CDC's Bridge Access Program provides no-cost COVID-19 vaccines to adults without health insurance or to adults whose health insurance does not cover all the vaccine costs. It is important, though, to note that this is a temporary program and will end by December 31st of 2024. As I mentioned, not all pharmacies are participating in the program. Those who are either uninsured or their insurance doesn't cover all those costs associated with the vaccine may obtain the COVID-19 vaccine at no cost by visiting any Walgreens pharmacy. In fact, some Walgreens locations may be able to provide temporary pop-up vaccine clinics in coordination with our long-term care facilities. And then CVS pharmacies and their minute clinics are also participating in the bridge access program. So again, those adults who are either uninsured or underinsured can get their free COVID-19 vaccination at CVS locations. To find a provider that offers no-cost COVID-19 vaccines through this program, folks can visit vaccines.gov. That was a great answer, Natalie, and kind of funny. It sort of sounded like a commercial for Walgreens and CVS, which is not our uh, point here, but wanted to just let you know that not every pharmacy is a provider. Those are the two biggest and also do contribute to the long-term care industry through uh, their pharmacy partnerships. So uh, great answer there. All right, one more billing question. What about Medicare vaccine payment for those vaccines that are administered to our residents? Oh, that's a good one. By statute, the Medicare Part B preventative vaccine benefit does cover the pneumococcal, influenza, hepatitis B, and COVID-19 vaccines and their administration. But because of the Inflammation Reduction Act, along with the CDC recommendations, vaccines that are not listed in that Part B statute must be covered by Medicare Part D. 
This includes the RSV vaccine for people over the age of 60, which now must be covered without cost sharing by the Part D plans. Well, I sure love hearing that about the RSV vaccine. You know, I have actually read, Natalie, that that vaccine can have a pretty hefty price tag of about $180 to $295 a shot. And that certainly made me wonder how on earth we were going to cover that for our Medicare beneficiaries. So, hey, guys, I do have one more question, but it's not really about the vaccines. My question is, what do our listeners need to know about testing? Hey, Linda, I'll take that one. If you, your staff, or residents develop symptoms, you should test for flu and COVID-19 since there are antiviral treatments recommended. Antiviral treatments for the flu and COVID-19 work to further reduce the risk of serious illness, hospitalization, or death from the viruses, but only work if started shortly after symptoms develop, usually within five days. If a resident tests negative for both influenza and COVID-19, you might want to consider additional viral or bacterial testing. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation around our vaccination requirements and the 2023-2024 vaccination season. Thank you, ladies. Do we have any additional tips for our listeners? Yes, I do. I'd like to remind everyone to please don't forget to promote the importance of getting the vaccine to your staff and residents. Some ideas for promoting the vaccine could include posters, letters to residents and family members, resident council meetings, and at all staff meetings or huddles. Oh, that's a great point, Linda. My takeaway is for those MDS nurses who are going to be documenting the vaccinations and the MDS, please become aware of where the vaccination record is actually located in your EMR. So when you're researching the vaccinations, don't just look at the MAR and the TAR. Be sure that you're looking at the actual vaccination record. And if you're unable to code the question, please note that you can ask the resident, you can call their family or their primary care physician to get the appropriate response to those MDS questions. And they do impact our quality measures, so please do not dash. I agree, Natalie. I think organization of vaccine efforts takes a lot of work, so don't forget to ensure your efforts are efficiently tracked and maintained within the electronic medical record. Great tips, gals. And, you know, I'll just give one more. It has already been a very heavy respiratory season, so I hope you are up to date and that you have had your flu shot. This is Sandy Toole, Natalie Moore, Kim Held, and Linda Elder, and we're really thrilled that you joined us today. I look forward to the next Director of Nursing Leadership Series podcast, and I hope you join us next time on Healthcare Highwire. Thank you for joining us today on Healthcare Highwire and the Director of Nursing Leadership Series. 